0: Owning investment property might be much more attainable than you realize. Lots of people don't realize the opportunity to build wealth that comes from investment properties. But lots of people also tend to write it off as something impossible for them or something to think about once they've built up wealth in other ways. Today, we're talking about what it takes to own an investment property and how to start planning for that. Welcome to Work is Good, a podcast designed to help Christians delight in their work and build wealth faithfully. I'm your host, Landon Butow. And this podcast is provided by Cleveland Street Mortgage in pursuit of our mission of helping people to cultivate wealth and property in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. My guest today is my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and designated broker at CSM. Please enjoy this week's conversation and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage with our team at CSM, go to clevelandstreet.com.
1: But generally speaking, you know, for investment properties, there are you know, you know, there are a couple of different approaches. You know, one is is uh, you know I think of you know who's it attainable for. I think of uh, young kids who are starting out. You know? and if you want to be an investment property owner, if that's kind of like your your vision, your dream of how to build wealth, how to build passive income, and a lot of people um, are are you know, big believers in that, mm-hmm. um, it is very <coughs> attainable. You know, and, and and you do that by acquiring properties as a primary residence, and then you hold it for the required year. So just very
0: fundamentally, in case, um, in case there are any people who need that distinction, why does it matter that you get it as a primary residence?
1: Oh yeah, because well, because we're talking about um, we're talking about uh, you know people young and presumably not a lot of cash, right? You know that you're coming. Let's say you're coming out of college, you, you just got your first job. You know, maybe you're into it, and and you just haven't had time to, to accumulate a lot of cash. Um, then, you know, primary residence you can finance a primary residence. You can finance a primary residence for as little zero down, depending on your circumstances. You know, uh, but it just anybody can finance it with an FHA loan, three and a half percent down, or conventional loan. First-time homebuyer, three percent down. Mm-hmm. And so, for two reasons, you know, that that's a great. Um, that that, that's a great way to do it is is because a you know that you don't have to accumulate a lot of cash which you probably don't have a lot of um and b it's just a lot cheaper money you know if you're financing as a primary residence it's it's a lot cheaper money and the other thing is that um you can get into multifamily investing you know even as a as you know as someone with, with very little cash if you if you're willing to live in the place you know you can you can buy Uh, a two-unit, a three-unit, a four-unit property. What's the difference in cash that you would need on a primary versus... uh, A multi? You mean it's like a single family versus a multi-family? Or a primary versus... Primary investment? yeah, an investment loan. So investment, I'm seeing here, like on conventional, it goes to 25% down, is the minimum amount down. Oh, that's on two units. No, 85% on a purchase. So, on an investment property, If, um, you know, an investment is is being contrasted with primary, you Mm -hmm. know, it's a rental property um, and, you know, and you're not occupying it anyway. You know, you can buy, you know, a duplex and occupy half of it. And that's a primary residence and you get all the primary benefits, but this is a pure investment property. You have to put a minimum of 15% down on conventional and you can't use FHA for because FHA is not for investment property. Um, And so, so it's why the, did I think it was twenty five percent? Is that um, for investment? Yeah, because there are substantial price breaks if you can get oh, okay. the twenty five percent down. The, the costs are, are, you know, are are you know, rise sharply if you put less than twenty five percent down mm-hmm. on an investment property. And okay. So we really, um, you know, a lot of people really try and get to that yeah. level, and because um, it's hard to make it cash flow if. Yeah, or your just to cost the money is very yeah. expensive. You know, you just want to save that yeah. um, that that extra interest and 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 fees that you pay in order to get it with less than that down. Yeah. Um, so really, kind of to answer your, you know, go back kind of your original question: Who's it attainable for yeah. it, it? really is attainable if you can, um, you know, if if you can afford a house, um, it's you know, it, 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 a primary residence, and you can potentially get started investing in investment properties and basically your plan would be to finance it as a primary and hold it for the minimum required one year mm-hmm. and then live in it yeah you know, live in it exactly um, for the minimum required one year and then you can sell that or, or excuse me retain that as an investment property convert it to investment property and do it again you know and and so or you can you can do it as um, you can buy a multiplex. And this is a way for people, you know, maybe even who couldn't qualify for buying a house on their own, but if you buy a duplex, mm-hmm. owner-occupied, and, and you've had a history of having some rental expense, if you've had no rental expense, then underwriting guidelines won't allow you to use any of the the rental income of the half. Because you're saying someone who
0: has, has a not massive income amount, or they can't show a, a qualifying income amount right. necessary for just a regular single family that they're gonna live in. But when you get a um, when, when you get a multifamily you can use the rental income and count it as your qualifying income. Right. right. Now, if, if if what was the stipulation if you've had rate?
1: rental expense in the past. Okay, you, if you've had zero rental if you don't own a property if you've had zero rental expense then generally, they're not going to allow you to use that rental income to qualify. Now, I need I need to add a caveat there. Um, the um, you know the minimum down payment for a um, a, a duplex conventional loan is fifteen percent. You know, and and so that's a much higher step up in terms of the amount of cash that's required. You can still do FHA oh, okay. for a lower down payment. But I
0: three percent on a single family versus fifteen percent right a That's a huge difference in the cash right.
1: investment required. but I do believe FHA will still qualify you with the rental income I I'm, I'm gonna need to, to double check that and I will try and do that you know, before you get this episode up so you can kind of clarify that. So um, it's it's
0: um, FHA will do multifamily but if you're gonna live in it but um, it's fifteen
1: percent, not
0: three and a half. No FHA is
1: the three and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. so you can you can get into an FHA with as little as three and a half percent down on a duplex.
0: So requirements are, if you're you, you have to be living in it. Correct. Um, At least half
1: of it, if it's a multiplex. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: you don't have to balance between the yeah. no the, no the rooms, um, man cave. Yeah. Second unit. Yeah. Um. And then the rental expense you were saying basically you have to have some proof that you've paid rent before. Like you can't come from yep. living for free at
1: your parents. That's the that's the conventional side of qualifying oh, okay. with rental income. Okay. FHA, I need to double check that. Okay. Yeah, but sure. there there's some definitely like there's a
0: low, fairly low barrier, but there's some some stipulations to be aware of that it's not just universal anyone and everyone that applies to. Right. Got it. Okay. Um, so what's, can you clarify the other route? So that was one route you were talking about, say so you're a first-time home buyer, um, a young, young guy and you just decide to go to the route of, I'm going to get a multi-family and rent out the other units. The other route you were talking about was buy it, live in it for a year, buy a single family, live in it for a year. Um, what does that look like then, what are what are the benefits of that, What what's involved? And yeah, can you then move into a renting situation where you're renting and then you're renting out your place, or do you have to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, if there's yeah, yeah so funds. so you can definitely, you know, the, the the that scenario that you're describing is just yeah, you know, basically you're just financing a property as a, as an owner occupied property because that's, that's how you bought it because that's you're you're buying it you're financing Keep it, it, it owner occupied. And then then your plan is to move and then hold it as a rental, rent it out, you know, move out of it. When you buy a property and you finance it as a primary residence, you're stating explicitly on the deed of trust that it's your intent to occupy the property as a primary residence for at least a year. Um, And and the key there is intent, you know. That has to be honest or it it would be loan fraud, you know. Your, Your intent has to be honest, but intent doesn't always translate into action, right? So it, if something doesn't comes up... doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get in trouble if you move right. six people, months that's a, I think that's a lot of... There's a misunderstanding around that. A lot of people think, well, you know, something happened in life. You know, my job got transferred, you know, divorce, all kinds of things happen that you didn't plan when you entered into the property with honest intent to occupy it for a year. Things happen. And so there's nothing wrong with then moving out of that place before that year is up. Um, but what you, which, you, know, you you just have to be aware of the fact that you know, that the reasons for that um, will reflect upon your original intent right, right? You know we'll, we'll either validate that or, or not validate that original intent. but basically you buy it, you occupy it for a year as a primary residence and then you can move on to the next one. Now yes, you can move into you can move into a rental right okay. because there's nothing, there's no obligation. like if you wanted to start getting the revenue from that, but you didn't
0: have the cash to buy a new to buy a next one place, yeah. You know, there's some trade-off there. Obviously, renting and then right. trying to make income, right? But yeah, yeah. So Not sure it's the wisest decision, but you yes, could. But you could.
1: There's there's nothing restricting you from doing that. Yeah. You know, when you move into that next property, but more typically, what people who are kind of following that yeah. strategy are going to want to do is say, okay. I'm going to use that year to save up for that small amount of down payment that I need and buy another primary, yeah. You know, and so, so it's possible to, to to become a serial purchaser of investment properties at you know a relatively young age mm-hmm. um, without laying out a bunch of capital. So could you, you buy quantify residences?
0: Quantify like what you mean by a small amount of like? Because I think it's helpful to hear the actual numbers. Say the first property is let's use Seattle numbers. Say the first property $500,000, um, yeah. so cash wise, you know, obviously tons of variables,
1: but you could do it with around 30,000 in cash. Well, you could fairly easily do it with 15, you know, 20, let's say 20, because that's 3% down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, 15. Plus 5,000 for closing costs prepays or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So, so you could do it for 20. Um. And potentially less. I mean there there are ways obviously to negotiate, depending on the market you're in, your you know. Can you negotiate a seller to, to pay for your closing costs? Yeah. You know, if if you find the property that's been sitting. And nowadays you can, yeah, you know, this wasn't true you know a year ago or eighteen months ago. You yeah. know, there was no chance of getting a seller contribution. But now there's a little bit more of a mix. Properties are still in demand, There's still low supply, yeah. low inventory, but there is more of a mix, and there are properties that have been sitting for a while. So you can go and say instead of Asking for a you know, a, a fifteen thousand dollar price reduction, you can pay full price and ask for fifteen thousand in closing costs and prepaid. So, so what? then
0: you're down to So then you're just bringing your down payment yeah. to you know to the
1: table. And so So
0: you're looking at like fifteen, twenty, twenty five around here for the these prices, um, for a five hundred thousand dollar house for your first for yeah. what you need cash wise for the first one. Right. And then um, <clears throat> next down payment you'd have to be at five percent.
1: Um, yeah, because you're property. no longer a first-time home homebuyer. Um, now, yeah, yeah well, or you could be 3.5% FHA, potentially. Okay. yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so, you know, and you could also potentially... So you need to save up. Save up or get a home equity line of credit. Let's say you have some appreciation on that property during the course of the year. Now, you know, doing this every year and you're putting low yeah. money down, you're trying to get- getting to the point where you have enough equity to use it, you know, to tap into that with a home equity line of credit on the existing house, to put it down to the next house, might be a challenge, but yeah. that that is something to think about. If you get the home equity line of credit, you can still keep your
0: um, original primary residence mortgage. Yeah, like, yeah. You it's can a get a new mortgage. mortgage even though your it won't be your primary residence.
1: Yeah, because, yeah, that's a great question because, um, and we do this all the time with people who are looking to transition from one house to another, buy another one first, but temporarily hold on to the old one first, you can't go tap into the equity on the old house with a new primary residence first mortgage refinance because of that clause that we talked about earlier. You're explicitly telling the lender whether you're purchasing it or refinancing it, that's your intent to occupy that property for a year. And if you're buying, if you're taking that cash out of that property in order to buy that next one that you're going to live in, then you obviously can't say that. Right. You know, if that's going to happen pretty quickly, but a HELOC contains a Home Equity Line of Credit or HELOC contains no such restrictions. And it's probably a little bit higher rate than like a primary residence, but it's short term. Yeah. The typically, way you're this using is it yeah, this is typically short term money. And, um, but yeah, you don't, there, there's nothing in the deed, there's nothing in the documents that, you know, all you're declaring is, I'm using it presently as a primary residence. Yeah. So you can plan to sell it next month, that's fine. And I've been explicit with this with the banks, when I go to them, I say, this is my plan, and this is what I'm going to recommend to my clients, I'm going to tell them to get a HELOC from you, or are you okay with that? You know, because, you know, I know you don't necessarily go into these HELOCs wanting them to be in existence for three months and then go away, but that's yeah. kind of how we're going to use it here, and and of... Always
0: been able to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, so HELOC, or say you're going the conventional route and going five percent down on that. That,
1: that you know you sense. lived in
0: your house for a year, you go to that next house, you're looking at about thirty-five. Yeah, because you got five percent down. Yeah. If, your, if you're staying in the same level house, yeah. If you're going 500 to seven fifty, yeah. Then obviously that's going to yeah. go up a little bit, but it's I, I think it's helpful. Like yeah. I don't know, it's still surprising to me to hear that. You know, for just 30, 20, 30 grand in the first house, living it for a year, all you have to save up is, I mean, depending on your circumstances, that could right. be a lot to save that can up. be a big mountain climb. But um, all you have to save up is 35 for another right. 500 grand and then be owning and, and getting rent from the previous house. Right. Um, the other piece is obviously qualifying income. Um, so on the new house... Um, you can use rental income from the previous,
1: from what you're going to be renting out as qualifying income, correct? Uh, good question. And and the answer is a qualified yes. Um, it, this is what's called a departing primary, right? So you're departing from this one as your primary residence, but you're still going to own it when you are financing and closing on the new home. Right. And because you're living in it presently, it's not rented. Right, presently, mm-hmm. right, and so you, when you're getting low. when you're getting the loan, yeah. so generally you you can use rental income to offset the mortgage on the old property, but you need to have a lease. and 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 Fannie and Freddie have slightly different rules regarding you know, the lease requirement, but generally you should expect to have a lease for about a year, uh, at least okay. a year, Sign lease. a year duration, and, yeah. and a security deposit. Yes, yeah, okay. and um, and and they're You know, they they are more or less restrictive on that secondary term, you know, whether you need a security deposit. But I I would just plan on that, you know, just to be safe, just have the most options available to you on the financing of the next home. It's just, you know, make sure you have a lease in place, make sure you have a security deposit. And if you have those things, you know, the lease doesn't have to have started um, when you close in the new home, because obviously you're still living there and you haven't moved out yet. Um, so it doesn't have to have commenced yet, but, but, you know, it shouldn't be six months out in the future.
0: Right. Because, I mean, for most people in that situation, you're not going to have some insane salary that's going to enable you to qualify for two mortgages. Right. Um, you know, on yeah. the old house and then a new mortgage on right. the new house. Um, so you, you would probably move that lease to
1: offset the old mortgage. Right. Most people will. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, sorry for the interruption. Give me 30 seconds. Imagine your friends. You know, those ones who are about to move or the ones who tell you at a dinner party in two weeks they're thinking about moving. Imagine how stressed they are about finding the right lender who's going to provide a great experience and great advice. Imagine how thankful they'll be when you tell them to schedule a call with us at clevelandstreet.com. That's all. Back to the show. Okay. Um, so you you were talking about ahead of time you looked a little bit into the process of um, uh, of
1: the logistics
0: there and, um, uh, of, of identifying rental property opportunities.
1: Um, what, wh- what, what did you seen there? Yeah. So I, um, you know, many people may be familiar with, you know, bigger pockets, um, organization. They do a lot of podcasts. They've written books um, you know they have a lot of resources, tools, and things. And, and you know, one of the things they you know, they talk about is kind of this eight step process. If you want to become an investor, you know, and, and, and really you kind of go through this every time. It's not just for first time investors, but it's a lot of things um, that people um, don't think about maybe when they're just thinking about becoming a landlord. You know, becoming a, an investment property owner. You know, and so kind of the first thing is pick a property type. You know, or, you know, do you want a condo, do you want a single family, do you want a multi-family? You know, so you, you want to kind of study a little bit about, you know, those different types of properties and what kind of property, um, and then pick a market, you know, pick a market. Where do you want to be? Uh, you know, what what markets are attractive to you? Do you want a market that's in your backyard? And obviously there's, there's obvious benefits to that, right, to have...
0: I mean, like we talked about if you're going to be doing it as a primary residence kind of situation. Yeah. Then that's going to have a huge that's impact going to be in your backyard but if
1: you know people who are just investing yeah. you know they they may you know and there are lots of you know lots of of data driven reports available to people you know relatively inexpensively that will tell you what housing do, what rents are doing you know in different markets how much in demand you know how's, how's the supply of rental properties how much in demand are there, what are rents doing and and that's really important you know to kind of study you may want to do a, 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 a a property that's outside of your immediate market. Mm-hmm. If you live in a high cost area, yeah, and you want to be an investor, um, but you don't, you know, you you don't have a million dollars to put on a rental property. Yeah, so um, that
0: was where that that was another question I wanted to ask. Say you know you do want to go in another area. Um, uh, in my head, it connects. I'm not sure if it really yeah, connects yeah. on paper, but um, can you invest with a friend like? I'm thinking of if you have a friend who's in a market where they're seeing the actual properties, and or maybe, uh, maybe they're going to buy it as a primary residence. Um, maybe that throws a new loophole into the answer. Yeah. but Can you invest with a friend? Let's let's say both scenarios, just as an investment loan, the you know typical investment loan route, or you know if you if you can touch yeah. on it, can friends, you do it as friends a can be co-borrowers? Yeah,
1: okay. friends can be co-borrowers. Yeah. Um, on a rental property, you know, if you're trying to do it as a primary, yeah, you know, that that's I mean, that's a lot trickier in a whole lot of yeah, levels, yeah, yeah. you know, because what does that mean from a rental standpoint? Are you going to collect rent from your friend for your half of the mm-hmm. ownership or yeah, you know, But but I mean, I have okay, seen that. Yeah, I have seen that done. Yeah, i I've, I've, I've I had a guy who wanted to buy first and sell later, and he found the perfect property, and um, and he wasn't doing it to be an investor. He just he wanted a new home for his family, and and he and he couldn't sell first because it was that white hot market where mm-hmm. nothing was available. So he waited to buy, but he couldn't quite qualify. So he just had a friend cosign for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had a really good friend who just says, "Sure, I'll co-sign, Um, You know, for you. So yeah, that was a, a scenario that wasn't an investment property. He was buying it as a primary. Um, but, um, but yeah, you you can buy together as you know, you, as friends, you can be co signers and finance together. Um, but, yeah, so you may want to pick a market that's outside. and and you know there are professional management companies. I mean there's you know, and, and there's a lot of great, you know there, there's a lot of great online resources now, you know that, that are bringing down the cost of of management because you know, it used to be that in order to manage a property remotely, yeah, you know, so much you you needed human interaction, involvement, boots on the ground to do just about everything, and you still obviously need you know you need a good repair guy. You need you 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 need those resources. Um, but a lot of the stuff that used to have to be done by a management company, like you know, um, doing background checks and and creating rental agreements and collecting rents and all, a lot of that stuff's available online now. You know, so yeah. so the cost has come down. Now, still, you you may want to factor in that ten percent management company, which is you know fairly typical. Um, you know, a management company. If if you turn over full control, you know, of the rental, you know, you're going to pay them ten percent of your gross rents. Um, and um, yeah, and so you should factor that in and out of mark. You know, if if you're financing in, in markets that aren't your own, but I think that's certainly you know something you ought to think about because those are things that tend to be um, trends that tend to be identifiable and and, and usually durable. You know, you, you I mean, obviously, life happens to every market and yeah. and things can change. But ten things do tend to be, you know, trending in one direction or another, and so you can look across the country and go, "Wow, well, this 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 is a good market to be in." Yeah, there, there there are you know, there are some additional requirements or risk associated with doing that away from you. But yeah. there's a lot of upside potentially there. So mm-hmm. pick your market. You know, and you want to research the values, the rents, the crime, and then you need to assemble your team. You know, you need a realtor um, to be involved. You, you need a lender. Um, potentially need a management management company to do that and you need a contractor you know th- those are kind of be your core four who you need to have um, available to you in, in order to successfully acquire the property finance the property you know manage get the tenants in there yeah. manage that and then you know just maintain it as you yeah. um, and then the financing you know just re- remember when you're financing rental property, whether the property is rented or not currently. So you could be buying a rental property from someone who's owner occupying it and there's no rent involved in that property. But when you finance a property, you're gonna have the appraiser go out and the appraiser's gonna appraise the value of the property but they're also going to do a market rent analysis on a rental property. They don't do that if you're financing it as a private, you know, as a primary residence. Or a second home. But if it's a if it's a rental property, they will then do an additional report called the market rent analysis. And that's what the lender's going to use. Um, they're going to take that and take seventy five percent of that to apply a you know vacancy factor and a maintenance factor. You know. So what do you mean
0: they're gonna take seventy
1: five percent? They'll take seventy five percent. So if if you if the appraiser comes back and says the market suggest you know, the market analysis I've done says that this property will rent for a thousand dollars a month. Okay. They will give you seven hundred and fifty dollars okay, a month to offset your mortgage costs. I see. Okay. I see. Um, because they want to factor in there. Because this isn't something you know. Now, if you if you're refinancing a property that you've been rented, and it shows up in your tax returns multiple years in a row, then they're not using that rule of thumb twenty five percent. They've got your actual okay. tax returns, yeah. and they're going to go. Oh, I see that you've you've got insurance tax, you, taxes, but you've also got maintenance <laughs> cost and cleaning cost, and you know. Attorneys' fees, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. All you, you tend to write and off in when there. when
0: you're getting underwritten, and, and you're saying they take seventy five percent of the new property.
1: Yeah, of the yeah okay. of the subject of property
0: possible rent. Of, yeah, of the subject property.
1: Yeah, they, okay. they take so that's
0: when you're doing it as an investment loan, not like as a primary. Residence. That, exactly. Okay.
1: Yeah, as when you're yeah. buying an investment property, you're yeah. going
0: to do that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So I'm gonna. Um, ask a little bit more practical and we can kind of wrap up on some practical questions on the financing. Uh, yes. So, obviously, the main thing, if you're listening to this right now and you, you have some interest here, um, the main thing is to start planning. Um, you know, maybe you're ready to make a move on it right now, um, but say you're kind of in the early phases, there's some interest, um, main thing is to start planning. Um, it seems like, you know, in order to plan well, well you, you have to know because there's so many different routes you could go. Um, I hate when our call to action is talk with a a mortgage professional because it sounds salesy. Um, But you're actually looking, like, in order to make a plan well, you have to know which route you're going. You have to know what you're trying to save up for. You have to know what your options are. Um, So, I mean, that is probably the start is is, um, see what it would take finance-wise.
1: Meet, meet with
0: someone who can lay out the options.
1: Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and yeah, I mean you're right You know it, it it does feel a little salesy when you say okay your call to action is me. Yeah um, But that you know that that really is of enormous value there and, and, and you know, because it's it's so hard for you to go out there and start looking at the market um, and having no idea how much cash it's going to require, right. whether you qualify or not. I'm just
0: going to start saving up.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and so spend an hour or 30 minutes with a mortgage professional first yeah. and, and get a deeper sense of, oh, okay, if I go this right, if I put this much down, this is what it would look like. You know, if I put this much down, here's how much I need to save. Yep. Whether I would qualify or not, here's what I need to, do to qualify. I mean, all of those questions, you can answer that, you know, within about an hour you can have a much clearer sense. And instead of looking at an abstraction, you know, which is kind of oh, the idea of owning rental property and then going looking at the universal rental properties, you are going there with a real sense of, okay, at this price point, this is what it would mean. At this right. price point, this is what it means. mean. Now, now let's go find the market. Let's go see what it looks like, what those price points look like. Yeah. Um, and it also helps you then when you start looking at those markets. I mean, what, you know, there are ROI calculators, cash you know, right, cash flow calculators right. out there that most people are using when they're evaluating rental purchases. And you need to know the financing side of that in order to, to use those effectively. Um, you know, one of the things uh, I've heard a couple of different people say, you know, as I've listened to different podcasts on rental properties, and, you know, they all say that every property um, you know, is cash flow po- positive at the right price. You know, and, and that's just something where it's super important for you to go in there knowing what that price is. Yeah. You know, what's the price at which that property is cash flow positive, And knowing your financing ahead of time is crucial to doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. Um, okay, wrapping up here, what's, uh, after talking it through for you, what's one thing that stands out of, this is a helpful takeaway. Obviously, this is a little bit all over the board. Um. But what do you think is just one one key takeaway that would be helpful to hold on to?
1: Yeah, I think a key takeaway is that um, you know owning real estate is historically consistently a winning play for for you can go back you know, five decades, you know, and and it's you know, very very few times in that in the history of these last five decades where you, you could have bought real estate, and held it for five years, and lost money, you know, so. Owning real estate is, is is a you know is a proven way of building wealth, and it's not for everybody. But if you have an interest in it, it's a, it's attainable even for people of of you know relatively modest um, cash resources available mm-hmm. to you if you want you know. And this particular, you know, I, I I say young people. I mean anybody could do that. But young people are typically the ones who are going to be more flexible about where they live, right. and you know, getting started out. Hey, I'll buy a house. I'll move a couple of times yeah. in, in two or three or four years. Yeah, I mean, even being married, it's it's you feel less flexible to, have to say, oh, we'll live right next door, right yeah. next door to a random renter. Right. So, yeah. 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 No. Exactly. So, but yeah, the main, main takeaway is it's it's very accessible. Um, but it, you know, you you won't really be able to make those decisions until you you, know, you meet with you know meet with a mortgage professional, kind of figure out what that would mean if you have an interest in it. Then you can figure out what that would mean for you, what you know, what kind of cash you would need to to say whether you qualify or not, or what you need to do to qualify, and uh, and then get connected with people who you know who you need to connect with to then start kind of finding those properties.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening to Work Is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review, and listen next week.